Chapter 11 of The Sea Witch. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Todd Lennon. The Sea Witch by Maturin Murray Ballou. Chapter 11 The Hues of Love. Captain Bramble did not long remain contented on board his ship. This he could not do while he realized that Miss Huntington was so near upon the shore, for so far as such a being could really love, he did love the lady, and yet his sentiment of regard was so mixed up with selfishness and bitterness of spirit, and pride at being refused, that the small germ of real affection which had found birth in his bosom was too much corroded with alloy to be identified. He felt that he had been overreached by Captain Ratlin, and also that he had good grounds of suspecting his successful rival of being either directly or indirectly engaged in the illegal trade of the coast, and determined, if possible, to discover his secret. He again became a frequent visitor of Don Leonardo's house, where he was sure to meet him constantly. There were two spirits whom we have introduced to the reader in this connection who were fitting companions for each other, but they had not as yet been brought together by any chance so as to understand one another. We refer to Captain Bramble and Maud the Quadroon. Both now hated Captain Ratlin, and would gladly have been revenged in any way for the gratification of their feelings upon her whom he so fondly loved. With this similarity of sentiment, it was not singular that they should ere long discover themselves and feelings to each other. Indeed, Maud, who had been a secret witness of the deed, already realized that Captain Bramble was the enemy of him whom she had once loved, and whom she now so bitterly despised. Untutored in the ways of the world and fashionable intrigue, yet the quadroon saw very clearly that through Captain Bramble she might consummate that revenge which she had so signally failed in doing by the agency of the hostile negro tribes she had treacherously brought to her father's door. He had not been long at the factory, therefore, on landing after the duel, before Maud sought a private interview with him, on pretext of communicating to him some information that should be of value to him in connection with his official duty. To this, of course, the English officer responded at once, shrewdly suspecting at least a portion of the truth, and therefore met Maud at an appointed spot in the jungle hard by her father's house. You will speak truly in what you tell me, my good girl, he said sagaciously, as he looked into her dark-spirited eyes with admiration he could not avoid. Have I anything to gain by a lie? responded Maud, with a curling lip. No, I presume not, he answered. I merely ask from ordinary precaution. But what do you propose to reveal to me? Something touching this Captain Ratlin? Ay, said the girl quickly. It is of him I would speak. You are an English officer agent of your government, and sent here to suppress this vile traffic? True. And have you suspected nothing since your vessel has been here? I suspect that this Captain Ratlin is in some way connected with the trade. He is, and but now awaits the gathering of a cargo in my father's barracoons, to sail with them to the West Indies. It is not his first voyage, either. But where is his vessel? He cannot go to sea without one, said the Englishman. 
That is what I would reveal to you. I will discover to you his ship, if you swear to arrest him, seize the vessel, and if possible hang him. You are bitter indeed, said the officer, almost startled at the fiendish expression of the quadroon's countenance as she emphasized those two expressive words. I have reason to be, answered Maud, calming her feelings by an effort. Has he wronged you? Yes, he loves the white woman whom he brought to my father's house. Thus far, at all events, my good girl, we have mutual cause for hate, and we will work heartily together. You know where his vessel lies? I do. Is it far from here? Less than a league. Indeed, these fellows are cunning, mused the officer. When will you guide me and a party of my people thither? Tonight. It is well. I will be prepared. Where shall we meet? At the end of the cape, where you and he met a few days since. Where we met? asked the other, in surprise. How knew you of that? I saw it. The duel? Yes. It is strange. I thought none but ourselves were to be there. He has moved in no direction since this woman has been here that I have not followed. There I hope to see him fall. But he was strangely preserved. You are a singular girl, Maud, replied the officer. Take this and wear it for my sake, he added, unloosing a fine gold chain from his watch and tossing it around her neck. And be punctual at that spot tonight after the last ray of twilight. I will, answered the quadroon, as she regarded the fine workmanship of the chain for a moment with idle and childlike pleasure. Then, turning from the spot, they both returned, though by different paths, from the jungle towards the dwelling of her father. Captain Bramble dined with Don Leonardo that day, and his good spirits and pleasant converse were afterwards the subject of comment, exhibiting him in a fair, more favorable light than he had appeared in since his arrival at the factory. Maud, too, either for the sake of disguise, or because the knowledge of her plan imparted exhilaration of spirits to her, was more agreeable, seemingly frank and friendly, than she had been for many a long day. If we accept the day before the late attack of the negroes upon the house, when the same treacherous assumption of cheerfulness and satisfaction with all parties was similarly assumed. Captain Ratlin, on his part, was ever the same. He found that he must wait some weeks, even yet, before he could prosecute the purpose of his voyage, and indeed he seemed to have lost all interest in it. His thoughts were full of too pure an object to permit him to participate to any extent in so questionable a business. Gladly would he at any moment have thrown up his charge of the sea witch, and he had indeed promised Miss Huntington that for her sake, and in honor of her friendship, for he had never aspired to any more intimate relationship, he would ignore the trade altogether, and that he would dispatch Mr. Faulkner, his first officer, to the owners in Cuba with the ship he had himself taken in charge. Having been brought up from childhood upon the sea, he had never studied the morality of the trade in which he was now engaged. But the nice sense of honor, which was so strong a characteristic of his nature, only required the gentle influence of a sweet and refined nature like her with whom Providence had so opportunely thrown him, to reform him altogether of those rougher ideas which he had naturally imbibed in the course of his perilous and daring profession. 
In the presence of that fair and pure-minded girl he was as a child, impressible and ready to follow her simplest instructions. All this betokened a native refinement of soul, else he could never have evinced the pliability which had rendered him so pleasant and agreeable a companion to her he secretly loved. Lady, he said to her as they sat together that afternoon, Heaven has sent you for a guardian angel to me. Your refining influence has come to my heart at its most lonely, its most necessary moment. I have done with this trade, never more to engage in it. That is honorable, noble in you, Captain Ratlin, so promptly to relinquish all connection with a calling, which, though it affords fortune and command, can never permit you self-respect. The ship will probably be dispatched within these two weeks, and then I will take any berth in legitimate commerce where I may win an honorable name and reputation. There is my hand on so honorable a resolution, said Miss Huntington, frankly, while a single tear of pleasure trembled in her clear, lustrous eyes. The young commander took the hand respectfully that Waits extended to him, but when he raised his eyes to her face and detected that tear, a thought for a moment ran through his brain, a faint shadow of hope that perhaps she loved him, or might at some future time do so, and bending over the fair hand he held, he pressed it gently to his lips. He was not repulsed, nor chided, but she delicately rose and turned to her mother's apartment. How small a things will affect the whole tenor of a lifetime! Trifles lighter than straws are levers in the building up of destiny. Captain Ratlin turned from that brief interview with a feeling he had never before experienced. The idea that Miss Huntington really cared for him, beyond the ordinary interest that the circumstances of their acquaintances had caused, had not thus far been entertained by him. Had this been otherwise, he would doubtless have differently interpreted many agreeable tokens which she had granted him, and to which his mind now went back eagerly to recall and consider under the new phase of feeling which actuated him. How else could he interpret that tear but as springing from a heart that was full of kindly feeling towards him? It was a tell-tale drop of crystal that glistened but one moment there. Could it have been fancy? Was it possible he could have been mistaken? The matter assumed an aspect of intense importance in his estimation, and he paced the apartment where she had left him alone, half in doubt, half hoping. In one instant, how different an aspect all things were. Life, its aims, the persons he met at the door as he now passed out. Even the foliage seemed to partake of the freshness of his spirit, and the world to become rejuvenated and beautified in every aspect in which he could view it. This was the bright tide of the picture which his imagination, aided by that gaudy painter and fancy colorer, Hope, had conjured up before his mind's eye, but the reverse side of the picture was at hand, and now he paused to ask himself seriously, Can this be? Who am I? A poor unknown sailor, fortuneless, friendless, nameless. Who is she? A lady of refined cultivation, high family, wealth, and beauty. Is it likely that two such persons as I have considered should be joined by intimate friendship? Can such barriers as these be broken down by love? Alas, I am not so blind, so foolish, so unreasonable, 
as to believe it for a moment. So once more the heart of the young commander was heavy within his breast. In the meantime, Captain Bramble had found an opportunity that afternoon to see Maud, and to learn from her that Captain Ratlin almost always slept on board his ship, departing soon after dark for the spot through the jungle. Satisfied of this, Captain Bramble once more proceeded to make his arrangements, for to have seized the vessel without her commander on board would have been to perform but half the business he had laid out for the night's engagement. But all seemed now propitious, and he awaited the darkness with impatience, when he might disembark a couple of boatloads of sailors and marines, and with the quadroon for guide follow the path to the jungle to where the sea witch lay. "'Why do you muse so long and lonely, my child?' asked Mrs. Huntington of her daughter that afternoon, as she came in and surprised her gazing out at a window vacantly. "'Oh, I hardly know, my dear mother. I was thinking over our strange fortune since we left Calcutta, the wreck, the nights in the boat, our fortunate rescue.' "'Fortunate, my dear. I don't exactly know about that.' Here we have been confined at this slave factory, little better than the slaves themselves, these four weeks. Well, mother, Captain Bramble says he shall sail soon, and then we can go round to Sierra Leone, and from thence take passage direct for England. For my part, I can't understand why Captain Bramble insists upon staying here so long. He doesn't seem to be doing anything. He came into the harbor by chance. He says that business and duty, which he cannot explain, detain him here, but that he will soon leave, of which he will give us due notice. Heaven hasten the period, said the mother, impatiently, for I am most heartily tired and worn out with the strange life we lead here. This conversation will explain to the reader in part the reason why Mrs. Huntington and her daughter, English subjects, and in distress upon the coast, had not at once gone on board the vessel of their sovereign which lay in the harbor, and been carried upon their destination. From the outset Captain Bramble had resolved not to let his rival slip through his fingers by leaving port himself, and thus he had still remained to the present time, though without any definite plan of operation formed until he availed himself of Maud's proposal. "'Why, bless me, my child!' "'You look as though you've been crying,' said the mother, now catching a glimpse at her daughter's face. "'Do I, mother?' she answered vacantly. This was just after she had returned from the meeting with Captain Ratlin, as already described, and whether she had been crying or not, the reader will probably know what feelings moved her heart. End of chapter 11 Recording by Todd Lennon, Albuquerque, New Mexico, March 28th 2009.